Welcome back. We are here in week six of our series, Victory, Life After the Resurrection. And we've been journeying through these different appearances that Jesus has made after he rose from the dead. Jesus was crucified upon the cross, and on Easter morning we celebrate his resurrection from the dead. And now we're at that point where we're looking at as Jesus goes about and appears to different people in different moments in history before he ascends into heaven. And so we're looking at what victory can we have that we can see in Christ, that we see as he moves into these moments and as he encourages his followers to place their faith and their trust in him. And so we're going to be continuing today looking at another one of these instances together. But before we do, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that each and every Sunday we get to study your word together. And Lord, as we look at this text, I pray that you would give us uh, wisdom and discernment to know what it is that you are saying to each one of us. Lord, your word is alive and active, and each time we come to it, I believe that you have something to teach us. So may you soften our hearts and open our ears to what it is that you want to declare to us today. Ground us in your truth, Lord, that our lives may reflect you more and more each and every day. We pray this in your matchless name. Amen. Well, when I was in high school and college, I worked at a movie theater. It was a great job as a high school student and even into college. One of the perks of working at a movie theater was that I got free tickets. So I could go see a movie and I could take a friend with me and I didn't have to pay anything. And movies are expensive. So I got to watch a lot of movies for a handful of years. And one year, a movie came out that I decided to go and see that was a little bit different than any I had seen before. In this movie, perhaps you've seen it, it was called The Ring. Now, The Ring was classified as an American psychological supernatural horror film. And I'll tell you this, while the rating was not high, this was not my type of movie, and I did not last long in that movie before deciding to walk out. I think it was only about a half an hour, and I I can count on one hand the number of movies that I've gone to and walked out on, but that was one of them. You see, I've never been a big fan of horror movies, and yet our culture loves this genre. Our culture as a whole loves the idea of horror and of fear and of being scared. It's not just movies, but we've been inundated with things that serve the purpose of evoking fear in us. There's movies, there's decorations, there's news feeds and books. The list could go on and on. You see it every year around Halloween, the obsession people have with the things that are meant to scare us and evoke fear in us. But the fear that we experience is not confined to movies or fiction that we engage with. There's many types of fear that you may even experience yourself. There's fears of being able to afford the next bill that may come your way. There's fears of sickness and your health. There's a fear of being alone that many people have, and a fear of the afterlife, a fear of making the right decisions. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Fear, which I would describe as that uneasy feeling, a feeling of dread or alarm. It's a warning to each one of us is its purpose. It can also be the feeling of being threatened by something or by someone. And fear can have a great impact upon our lives. In fact, I was reading the American Journal of Medicine suggests that chronic fear in our life can negatively affect our immune system, our nervous system, our sleep and wake cycles. 
It can cause eating disorders and many other things, including simple things like muscle aches, can turn into fibromyalgia if we have chronic fear in our lives. So if we have fear in our lives, if we find ourselves having fear about things, especially chronic fear, what are we to do with this fear, with these real fears that we experience? What does it look like as a follower of Christ to have fear and yet also try to follow Jesus? And so that's what we're going to be looking at today is what it looks like to face our fears in light of Jesus Christ. And in our text today, we are going to see how Jesus is in his defeat of death and through his resurrection gives us the ability to have victory over our fear. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 24, we're going to be spending our time in Luke chapter 24 this morning. Now, the scene that we're coming into is we've seen the two disciples who have encountered Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and we talked about that way back in the second week of this series. They had been journeying on the road to Emmaus talking about Jesus and his death and his possible resurrection and all that had happened in Jerusalem when Jesus appeared to them on the road. And as he opened their eyes to the scripture and then as he stopped with them and broke bread, their eyes were opened that it was the risen Christ that they had encountered. And they immediately went from Emmaus and returned to Jerusalem to go and find the disciples in Jerusalem. And when they find the disciples, they hear that the disciples are listening to Peter sharing his account of his interaction with Jesus post-resurrection. And these two disciples share about meeting Jesus on the road to Emmaus. So that's where we're picking up in Luke chapter 24, verse 36. And this is what it says. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. So the disciples are gathered together. They're discussing these appearances of Jesus, what it means, the implications of it. Can they trust what they've seen and what the others are sharing with them if they haven't been amongst those who have seen Jesus? And all of a sudden, Jesus stands there among them in the room. We've talked about before this aspect of Christ appearing multiple times, appearing behind locked doors, appearing in rooms that he wasn't in before, on the sea shore as well, and it's so easy to quickly breeze past these and not think too much about the implications of what this means, of what the text is saying here. You see, I believe that the text, when it talks about Jesus all of a sudden standing amongst them, when he gets through locked doors and that type of thing, that it points even more to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that he as the Son of God is more powerful than the natural order of things. That physical doors and locks cannot keep him out. And that Jesus, in his resurrected state, possessed the power of God the Son. And thus he had the ability to engage in the miraculous. In doing things like going through doors that were locked and appearing amongst the disciples. It just is another point to Jesus' majesty and towards who he is as Lord and Savior. And I think it's important for us to notice that Jesus did do these things, that he did work the miraculous in these appearances as well. Well, as Jesus shows up to the disciples, he immediately declares peace amongst them. And the disciples were startled and frightened. They thought that they saw a spirit. There's this element of fear amongst the disciples, and we've read about it in other passages as well. 
And there is a role of fear that is natural in our relationship with God. And yet there is both good fear and there's bad fear that we can have. You see, we're told that we should fear God, and that's a good, healthy fear, which means that we should have a reverence for who God is. As a holy God, as an all-powerful God, it's important and good to have that respect and that awe, the reverence of who God is, which should lead to a fear of God. But there's also a fear like being frightened, a fear of being, like being scared. And this word that's used here by Luke in the text for frightened, it's pateo, and it means to be provoked by agitating fears, causing someone to be psychologically detached from reality. You see, the disciples here are not fearing out of a reverence for God. They're not fearing out of a concern to worship God and to place God in his right place in their lives, but their fear comes from a concern out of all that's happening around them. Their safety and the unknowns of what it means for them as followers of Jesus that their leader has been crucified. There's concerns as to if they're going to be next. Are there people who are going to be coming for them? Are there people who are going to be seeking their lives to continue to squash the movement of Jesus Christ and his followers? You see, their fears are not anchored in the person and work of Jesus Christ, but their fears are anchored in their present circumstances and surroundings. And fear is not something that's new in Scripture. It's something that can be found on multitudes of occasions throughout Scripture in many different lives that we see. Just think of three examples with me. We have Moses, who in the Old Testament, when God appears to him in the burning bush and calls him to go and speak to Pharaoh, he is fearful of speaking to Pharaoh because he fears that he doesn't speak well enough and he needed courage to face the past. There's David, who becomes king, but before that was fearful for his life as Saul sought to kill him and as David fled and He needed the courage to face the impossible situations throughout his life. And then there's Esther, Queen Esther, who was fearful to approach the king. Because she knew that if she went before the king and he didn't hold out his scepter to her, that she could be killed for approaching the king without being summoned. And yet, she needed the courage to take this big risk on behalf of her people on behalf of being a part of saving the people of Israel because God had placed her there for that moment, for that time, and for that purpose. You see, all these people in Scripture would have been facing great fear surrounding their situation. Like the disciples, they had much to fear in their lives. The disciples had much to fear in this moment. Their fear was not unfounded. Rome's desire to squash an uprising amongst the Jewish people The high priest trying to see to it that Jesus and his followers don't continue declaring that he is the Messiah. This was what was coming against them. This is what they were fearful about that had them on edge, that caused them to be startled and frightened, to be fearful in that moment. And yet Jesus' answer for the disciples is there in his declaration. It is peace. Jesus comes bringing peace to the disciples, declares peace upon them. This word peace means that when all essential points are joined together, that there is a wholeness. That's what that word is used here in this context, which can only be true when it is found in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We can only be completely joined together and whole in Christ Jesus. He is the one who declares and brings peace as we are joined with him as our Savior. 
Well, Jesus knows what's going on in the hearts and minds of these disciples, and he seeks to bring peace to them. He wants to anchor this peace that he brings and that he declares to the disciples in his resurrection, in his defeat of death. And so look at how he instructs the disciples again, picking up in verse 38. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. When Jesus appears, as we've seen other times when he appears to them, he doesn't come with criticism and condemnation. Rather, I view it as an invitation that Jesus brings to the disciples. He acknowledges their fears, and he asks them why they are troubled, why they have doubts arising in their hearts. You see, the disciples, I believe, have taken their eyes off of Christ, giving way to doubts rising in their hearts. And this occurs when we allow our fears, our concerns, or our doubts to supersede Christ in our lives. When we give in to fear and doubts and concern and we dwell on those elements, they tend to fester and they tend to grow and become larger and larger and larger. When our focus is what we are fearful of, that becomes the driving force for why we do what we do. They blind us to the truth of who Christ is and who we are in Christ. Just think with me about the first instance that we ever see of fear entering into humanity. If you go back with me to Genesis chapter 3, it's when Adam is in the garden. I'm going to be reading Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. And this is after Adam and Eve have taken of the fruit that they were instructed not to eat of. Picking up in verse 8 of chapter 3, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? You see, there we have the first instance that we see of fear arriving. The fear that Adam has knowing that God is in the garden and that he has disobeyed God. It comes hand in hand with the disobedience that Adam had of God's instructions, of God's good plan for humanity, of forgetting God's word and pursuing after what he wanted in the moment. And as that enters in, as sin enters into humanity, fear comes with it. The fear of what will happen, the fear of the unknown, the fear of how God will respond. Rather than trusting who God is and what God has said, Adam is now fearful. I've always loved the quote that D.L. Moody said, which was, Either the Bible will keep you from sin, or your sin will keep you from the Bible. You see, what are we focused upon? Are our minds and our thoughts driven by the fears that we have? Or are our minds and our thoughts driven by the truth of who God is? And Jesus, here in this moment with the disciples, wants to anchor the disciples' belief in himself and encourages them to put aside their doubts, to put aside their fears. But how do they do that? How can they just put aside their fears and their doubts? 
Well, Jesus knows that part of how they can do this is by seeing his hands and feet, to touch him and to know that it is Christ. And this is often God's response to our fear, is an invitation to trust him, an invitation to know that he is in our presence, that he is working in his goodness in our lives, to trust his power and his strength, to trust that he is able even when we are not able to. And Jesus also wants his disciples to see and to understand that he is physically present with them. And so he lets them know that he is not a spirit, but that he is flesh and bones as they see. And that's part of his invitation to touch and to feel his wounds, to feel that in his risen, resurrected body, that it is a physical body that he is embodying. Jesus invites the disciples to move from their fear to belief to experience a victory from their fear based not off of themselves, but off of who Jesus is and what it is that he has accomplished. Let's look at how Jesus closes out their time together, picking up in verse 41. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Now, we've seen Jesus do this on multiple occasions where he asked for something to eat. He did it at the lakeside last week when we were talking about him fishing with them. He took the fish and he ate it. It's a bearing witness to his body, to his physical form as the resurrected Christ. You see, the disciples still have an element of disbelief. And so Jesus is moving them one step further along in their ability to trust and believe in him. They're disbelieving, and it says, but, for joy, but jo- for joy and we're marveling. Still now while they're disbelieving, which means that they're indicating a refusal to be faithful, to fully trust what Jesus is saying. They're still holding back a little bit. Jesus knows that they're not quite there. And so Jesus wants to move them further along in their faith, in their experience of him as their resurrected Savior. And he does this by asking for food to take the food and to eat the food, thus proving that he is not spirit, but that he is fully human. In verse 44 through 49, which we're not going to be reading this morning, Jesus shows the disciples how he is the fulfillment of the prophets, of all that was written to Israel about a Messiah that was to come. And he provides the disciples with an understanding as to who he is and the scriptures that they have been taught. He lets them know that the forgiveness of sins that he is proclaiming is to be proclaimed not just to the disciples, but it is a message for the entire world. And that once the disciples receive the Holy Spirit upon them, once the power of the Holy Spirit is indwelt in them, that then it will be their task to take this message of Jesus Christ, of his forgiveness of sins, and to bear witness to this to the entire world. In victory over fear found in Jesus Christ, what we see is the disciples move from a group of scared men hiding in a locked room, fearful of what will come, fearful of what others will do to them, of what awaits them outside of their tight-knit group, to being those who are willing to go to the ends of the world to spread the name of Jesus Christ, to declare his resurrection, and to put aside fear even to death. I believe that this only happens through Jesus Christ. 
The only explanation for these disciples who were fearful at one point to then become so bold in their faith that they would die to proclaim the message of who Jesus is, that only happens through Jesus Christ. Through a belief and a faith in his resurrection and in who he is as their risen Savior. So what does this mean for you and for me? In our journey of moving beyond our fears and not living in fear but experiencing that victory from Jesus, how do we apply this to our lives? Well, the first element is we must believe in the risen Christ. That is foundational. That is the first step that we must take if we want to experience victory over fear. It's found in Christ alone, so we must have an initial belief in Jesus Christ as the resurrected Lord and Savior. Jesus doesn't appear to the disciples in a spirit form, but in a bodily form he appears to them with a body that they can touch, a mouth that can chew fish, a body that can digest the food that he eats. You see, Jesus knows that in order to move the disciples forward in their faith and thus moving forward in his will for them, that they need to experience the resurrected Christ in the flesh. They need to see him. They need to touch him. They need to know that he is real. And for us to move forward in our pursuit of Christ, we must believe that Jesus rose from the grave, that he conquered death, and that he walked the earth risen from the grave. This belief is foundational to all that we are called to do as Christians. When evangelist Gypsy Smith got saved, an elderly gentleman explained to him the importance of trusting in Christ alone. Gypsy Smith replied, quote, I cannot trust myself, for I am nothing. And I cannot trust in what I have, for I have nothing. And I cannot trust in what I know, for I know nothing. The only thing left for me to trust in is Jesus Christ. And the same is true for us. The only thing to trust in is Jesus Christ. The only thing to bring peace if we have fear is Jesus Christ. The only thing to bring forgiveness for our sins is to believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. And then this can allow us to move forward to our next step and application, which is to know the power of His Spirit. Charles Finley, whom perhaps you've heard of, perhaps not, but he made a significant impression upon the religious life of the 19th century in America. His influence is still evident today. He was called the father of the modern revivals, and by some historians, he paved the way for later revivals from Billy Graham and Moody and Billy Sunday. Those were paved by Charles Finley. And Finley wrote about how God gave him a mighty infilling of the Holy Spirit. He said that the filling of the Holy Spirit went through me as it seemed, body and soul. I immediately found myself endued with such power from on high that a few words dropped here and there to individuals were the means of their immediate conversion. My words seemed to fasten like barbed arrows in the souls of men. They cut like a sword. They broke the heart like a hammer. Multitudes can attest to this. Sometimes I would find myself in a great measure empty of this power. I would go and visit and find that I made no saving impression. I would exhort and pray with the same results. I would they set apart a day for private fasting and prayer. After humbling myself and crying out for help, the power would return upon me with all its freshness. This has been the experience of my life. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit is what 
we all need as followers of Christ. It's allowing God to work through us. When we go in our own power, as Finley described, it falls short. But when we humble ourselves, when we look to the Lord for our strength, when we allow Him to work through our lives, then we can see Him truly use us and work for His glory. Jesus knew the importance of His Spirit at work in our lives. This is why the disciples were instructed to wait. They were told to wait until they received the power of the Holy Spirit. Not because Jesus just wanted them to spend more time hanging out, but because they needed that power and strength of the Holy Spirit for the ministry that they were to embark upon. For the words they were going to be speaking, for the way in which the Holy Spirit was going to work through them to bring people to a saving faith. And for us today, knowing the power of His Spirit is crucial for us too. It's crucial for us to move out of fear because we don't overcome fear by our own abilities but by Christ alone at work in our lives. Charles Spurgeon put it clearly when he stated, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without the wind, branches without sap, and like coals without fire, we are useless. So if we are surrendered surrendered to the power of the Spirit at work in our lives, we can then move forward as followers of Christ to my last point, which is to experience victory over fear. There are so many scriptures that speak to fear, that instruct us as followers of Christ to fear not. But I want to share with you one of my favorites about fear. It's Isaiah 41, verses 10 through 13. And this is what Isaiah says. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. And it is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. You see, if we are to truly experience victory over fear, we must anchor ourselves in the Word of God. We must take it to heart, study it, and know it, and remember it. This is the front line of defense against fear, and this is how the Lord desires to speak His truth into our lives rather than the lies of fear. Jesus provided this for the disciples as He took intentional time to show them who He was, the truth of His Word, the fulfillment of his promises, and to invite them forward out of their fear into a life with him. And the same is true for us today, that Jesus invites you to trust in his resurrection, to know him and to move forward living your life based upon who he is and his love for you. Friends, Jesus Christ defeated death, and in doing so defeated fear and the lies that come with fear. Lies that we won't have enough. Lies that we won't be able to measure up. That our health is the most important aspect. Or that there isn't an eternity. Or that God won't provide. Or that He isn't good. These are all lies that help fear to grow in our lives. But because of Jesus, because of who He is and His love and goodness and His graciousness towards you, we can truly walk forward with victory over fear 
knowing that in him alone we can experience peace. We can know that we do not need to fear, for as the words of Isaiah stated, he is the one who helps you. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much that you are here with us today. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what we are facing, what struggles or situations we find ourselves in, Lord, you are greater. And so, Lord, we turn to you. Lord, where we have doubts, we ask that you would give us faith. Where we have fear, we ask that you would give us peace. Lord, where we have confusion, we ask that you would give us understanding and clarity. But Lord, we know that all of our answers reside in you, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. So help us to fix our eyes upon you. No matter what we go through, may our eyes be fixed fast upon you, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And Lord, may we be lifted up and encouraged by you and sustained by you. And may our lives point to you in all that we do, thus bearing, giving you the glory alone. And praise in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.